0: Hi, I'm John Heumann. On February 17th, Ash Wednesday, Peace will be having two drive-in worship services in our front parking lot at noon and 7 p.m. Our staff will be coming around to every car to provide ashes. And then on February 21st, in-person worship begins for our 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. services. You'll get an opportunity to register ahead of time. Health and safety measures will be enacted and masks will be required. Live streaming will also take place for both worship services. The show notes for this episode include all the details about these events and a whole ton of other things going on in the peace community. Okay, here's the sermon. Today is Apocalypse Sunday! Alright, that's good, George. Thank you. Alright, so in case you were going to Google that, no, Apocalypse Sunday is not... Like a part of the lectionary, it's not a part of the church here. I'm just preaching on the book of Revelation this morning, which is also known as the Revelation or the Apocalypse of John. Now, I want to start out by making a prediction. And this may be a little bit surprising, but I want to predict that in the near future, we will see an apocalypse. Maybe even this morning, today, we might experience. An apocalypse now before you start to call Pastor Doug or you call our bishop let me give a chance to explain myself now I'm sure that in the Lutheran Church or in most mainline denominations you probably haven't heard too many apocalyptic predictions in your time it's not a thing that we really do that often But I'm also sure that you have heard of those people who predict the rapture. It seems like throughout history, we always have at least a few people in every generation that are very confident that the end of the world is coming soon, and they can tell you when. And these doomsday predictions, it's always this nightmare of death and destruction and fire and brimstone, and most of the people and most of this world will perish in that. But a few people will be saved, and if you listen to these voices, it's always the few people that happen to belong to their group, right? So it's a very good sales pitch. Join our church before the world ends. But we all know that every time someone makes one of these predictions, they're wrong, Right, The world keeps spinning. The world has not ended yet. You have to admire, though, some of these groups are really persistent. For instance, the World Mission Society Church of God, it's based out of Korea, and they first predicted that the world would end in 1967. And then when that didn't work, they were much more confident about 1988. And so they gathered a few thousand of them on the top of this mountain for a couple days to wait it out. And then when that didn't happen, they said, no, it'll be later this year during the Olympic Games. And then when that didn't happen, it was 1999. And then it was 2012 that they thought the world would end. I'm not sure what they're predicting now. But you have to give it to them. After all of these failed predictions about the world ending, the church is still going strong, right? This is a persistent group. But before we make too much fun of all these doomsday predictors, Let me show you something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. The disciples start by asking him, tell us, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, beware that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead you astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, maybe you've heard this before, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And Jesus goes on and on and on, but then he says this, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. This generation, as in the generation early in the first century. So if Jesus was really making a prediction that the world was going to end during that generation, then he was wrong, just like all those other doomsday predictors have been wrong, which is why I don't think that Jesus was actually describing the end of the world, at least not in a literal way. Something else was going on here, just like something else was going on in the book of Revelation, this apocalypse of John. You see, this is why I can confidently say that we will see an apocalypse sometime soon. I'm not talking about the end of the world. The word apocalypse itself, it literally means an unveiling. That's it. An unveiling. An apocalypse is when you take back the veil to show something that is hidden in this world right now. This unveiling, this revelation shows us the world in a totally different light. And so these apocalyptic prophecies like Jesus mentioned here in Matthew, like we see in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, they help us to see the world around us the way it truly is right now. And in some ways, the way the world has always been. And these apocalyptic prophecies, they use the language of poetry. They use all this metaphoric, symbolic language. Sometimes they even talk in code because this poetry is this way to show us this deeper truth about the difficult and sometimes disturbing realities of the world that we live in. I mean some of these difficult realities are things that we don't want to face up to or like things with poverty and injustice things that we don't quite know what to do with or we don't want to deal with Think of what Jesus described you will hear of wars and rumors of wars nation against nation there will be famines and earthquakes and this is just the beginning Do you see why it's so easy in And no matter what generation you're living in, to use these words to say that the end is coming soon. See, what Jesus was doing and what we see in the book of Revelation, they aren't all of these signs to show us when the world is coming to an end. It's just this unveiling to show us the ugly truth of the world that we already live in. I mean, think about it. Wars, famines, natural disasters, plagues, These are things that happened during the time of Jesus, and they happened long before that, and they have continued to happen ever since. Some Christians right now, I have heard people talking about this, some Christians right now are wondering if the COVID pandemic is a sign that the world is coming to an end soon which is no different than the people who wondered in Europe during the Middle Ages if that plague was a sign that the world is coming to an end soon. Just like people wondered about the first and then the second world war and so many wars before that. They wondered, are these signs that the world is coming to an end? And they're not. You know what's so ironic about these apocalyptic prophecies in the Bible? Is that they're not actually meant to spread fear They were meant to give people hope, especially people who were going through difficult times, especially for people who are suffering. Because what they show us, actually, is that the terrible things that we go through, no matter how bad they get in this world, it may feel like the end of the world, but they are not the end of the world. You see, that's the next step where these apocalyptic prophecies take us. First, there's this unveiling that shows us the way the world is right now, but then they pull back and they show us this vision for what the world could be. This beautiful reality, again, in this poetic language of where God is taking us of this better future for our world. I mean, that's what we heard Siri talking about in that reading earlier in the service, At the end of the book of Revelation, what do you see? You see this beautiful vision for the way the world will be, for this better future where God is leading us. And it acknowledges the difficult realities, right? There will be death and pain and suffering and violence. But that's not the end of our story, That's not the end of the world. God will wipe away every tear, and someday death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more, because God is always making all things new. It may feel like the end of the world, but there is beauty and joy in the midst of this time and on the other side of our suffering. So think for a minute of all the things that we've experienced just in this past year, all the sickness and death, all the change, all the division, all the hate, it may feel like this is the end of the world, but it's not. It may feel like there's no way forward to a better future, but there is, there is beauty and joy right now and there is beauty and joy on the other side of this moment in history. God is moving us toward that, better future and for you in your own life sometimes it feels like the world is ending after you've experienced that loss it may feel like the world has ended after that relationship or that job is no longer a part of your life or it may feel like the world has ended after you get that diagnosis It may feel like there is no way for you to get through this time where you fear utterly alone and disconnected from the rest of the world, but this is not the end. There is joy and beauty in the midst of this and on the other side. When you think just about the book of Revelation, it was written at this time when there was a good chance that the early church simply wasn't going to make it they weren't gonna survive. They were facing this persecution from Rome, and there was a period of time where the might of this empire was trying to stamp out this band of Jesus followers. And from what we can tell, most if not all of the original disciples, they had been martyred. Many of the other early church leaders, they had been martyred too. Think about what it must have been like to live in that time as the church. I mean, it had to feel like there's no way we can get through this. There's no way this small band of peaceful Jesus followers could prevail against the might of an empire. But 2,000 years later, we know the truth, the truth that the book of Revelation showed them that actually the opposite is true. You see, they thought there was no way for the way of Jesus to prevail against the might of an empire but in reality, there was no way for the might of any empire to prevail against the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God. It reminds me of that poem that Amanda Gorman read at the inauguration. The whole poem was powerful, but what I especially love this line. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe, now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us. Our overall series right now is called Moving Forward. And we chose this series because we all got this sense that after all we've been through in the past year, we're all asking that question, what now? Like, where do we go from here? I mean, just as a church, just like most institutions, we've had to completely rethink what it means to be a community right now. But what now? Where do we go from here in the next few months? And more importantly, what will the church look like when this pandemic is finally behind us because things will be different? Where do we go from here with our political system? With where we get our sources of information that we trust? Where do we go from here with our democratic institutions? Where do we go from here with our struggle toward racial justice? And where do we go from here the direction of our own lives as so many things for so many of us have drastically changed what now and I wish I knew I wish I knew the answer I could tell you here's where we go from here but I don't but here's what I can tell you we need to start by listening we need to start by listening to good poetry We need to start by listening to these voices that unveil for us the truth of what this world really is like around us and showing us this picture of what the world could be. You see, some of these voices around us, just like the book of Revelation, they might be God's way of showing us where we're headed in all this. This past week, I stumbled across this TED Talk that Amanda Gorman did a few years ago And she talked about the power of good poetry, why it's so powerful. But as I reflected on it, I realized that what she's saying here about poetry, it isn't just true for the arts, it's true for prophetic voices in the church as well. So let's take a look.
1: One of the things that irritates me to no end is when I get that phone call and it's usually from a white man And he's like man, Amanda. We love your poetry We'd love to get you to write a poem about this subject, but don't make it political Which to me? Sounds like I have to draw a square, but not make it a rectangle or like build a car and not make it a vehicle It doesn't make much sense because all art is political. The decision to create, the artistic choice to have a voice, the choice to be heard, is the most political act of all. Poetry is political because it's preoccupied with people. If you look in history, notice that tyrants often go after the poets and the creatives first, they burn books, they try to get rid of poetry and the language arts, because they're terrified of them. Poets have this phenomenal potential to connect the beliefs of the private individual with the cause of change of the public, the population, the polity, the political movement. And when you leave here, I really want you to try to hear the ways in which poetry is actually at the center on our most political questions about what it means to be a democracy. Maybe later you're going to be at a protest, and someone's going to have a poster that says, they buried us, but they didn't know we were seeds. That's poetry. You might be in your U.S. history class, and your teacher may play a video of Martin Luther King Jr. saying, we will be able to hew out of this mountain of despair, a stone of hope, that's poetry. Or maybe even here in New York City, you're going to go visit the Statue of Liberty, where there's a sonnet that declares, as Americans, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. So you see, when someone asks me to write a poem that's not political, What they're really asking me is to not ask charged and challenging questions in my poetic work. And that does not work because poetry is always at the pulse of the most dangerous and the most daring questions that a nation or a world might face.
0: You see, if we want to be a part of where God is moving this world forward, we have to be willing to listen. And sometimes we even have to be willing to ask those dangerous and daring questions. Those charged questions that show us what the world is really like, especially for what the world is really like for people who are different from us. Only then can we see what the world could be. Only then can we see what the way of Jesus can do in this world through us. So my hope for our community Is that we might experience an unveiling, an apocalypse after apocalypse. I pray that the veils would fall away so that we might open ourselves up to the difficult truths of the world around us. And then we might see this beautiful vision for what the world could be if only we're brave enough to live into that reality. To quote Amanda Gorman, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Amen.